invite you to take your Bibles. We are back in the Gospel of Matthew this week, continuing our series in the Lord's Prayer. We are in Matthew chapter 6, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some blue Bibles in the pew in front of you, and you can find our passage on page 900, page 900. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please feel free to keep the Bible in the pew in front of you. You don't need to tell us, you don't need to sign it out, check it out, just take it home and read it. That's all we ask. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, we're going to focus in on that part that's bolded up there, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And our passage this morning deals with two things that we as a culture are not very good at. Forgiveness and debt. When we look around, we typically find that most people experience too little forgiveness and too much debt. So when it comes to forgiveness, first of all, survey after survey, and I looked at these the other day, survey after survey shows that we carry around an incredible amount of guilt. We, we are guilty people. We feel guilty about literally everything. Guilty about how we parent, guilty about the job we do at work, Guilty about how we treat other people. Guilty about spending too much money. Guilty about being too cheap. Guilty about not working out. Guilty about how we eat. Guilty about how much we're on our phones. Guilty about how little time we spend with our friends or our family. Guilty about how little we read our Bibles or how little we pray. Guilty about what we do and guilty about what we fail to do. And you could fill in a lot more, I'm sure. And what does all this guilt tell us? We know we've done something wrong. That's the only reason you feel guilty is when you know there's something I should not have done that I did or there's something I should have done and I didn't do it. So we know we've done something wrong. We know we need to be forgiven and yet many of us won't admit it. Instead of admitting the wrong we've done and asking for forgiveness, we instead tend to rationalize or justify the things we've done. We always have a reason why I didn't do that thing I ought to have. Well, it's because that was a busy day and I was hungry and it was the third Tuesday of the month and, and I saw a bird. That's why I didn't do the thing. We've always got excuses. Four of the hardest words for us to say are, will you forgive me? Because in those words is an acknowledgement of our need to be forgiven. It's an admission of guilt. So instead of seeking forgiveness, most of us just carry around our guilt. And then there's debt. This year, 2021, the U.S. has hit record levels of household debt. Over $15 trillion is what we all collectively owe 
This is not national debt. This is like people, like our credit cards, our home loans, all that stuff. I don't even know how much 15 trillion is. Once you get above these numbers, they're just, they're make-believe. But that's, it's the most we've ever owed. So what that tells us is that we are constantly choosing to buy things that we can't afford. We know we don't have enough to pay for it, but because we want it bad enough, we say, give it to me now, and I'll deal with paying for it later. So we take out a loan. We borrow from a friend. We put it on the credit card. We choose the payment plan. There is a gap between what the decisions in our life cost and what we're able to pay for them. And that gap is called debt. It means we owe someone for whatever it is we failed to pay. So put these two things together, our approach to forgiveness and our approach to debt, and we're confronted with the reality that many of us walk around loaded with guilt and drowning in debt. We know we do wrong things and so we feel guilty and we owe for all that we've failed to pay so we carry debt. Our passage this morning confronts us with two unpopular truths. Namely, all of us are in debt and all of us stand in need of forgiveness. And what we're going to look at this morning is how the Lord's Prayer takes these two realities and combines them into one and addresses both. So we're going to look at four points this morning. If you're taking notes, these are kind of our four sections. We're going to look at our debt. What is it? We're going to look at our need for forgiveness. How forgiveness happens. And how forgiven people live. Okay, so that's kind of the roadmap of where we're going. So let's, let's look first at this concept of debt. Now I realize that as we say the Lord's Prayer, as you read it, some of you might have grown up saying a different word. I think even in the way I learned it as a kid, we said, forgive us our trespasses. Or you may have said, forgive us our sins. And those are both fine. They're both theologically true. So don't feel bad if that's how you learn to say it. But the actual word in the text here is best translated as debt. It's a word that it has to do with something that ought to be given. Something that should be paid to someone else. It's what is owed. In fact, the only other place this exact word is used in the New Testament is in Romans 4.4. Listen to how it's used there. Paul says in Romans, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Same word, debt. So think about when you get your paycheck. And it shows up in your account, your direct deposit. I don't think, hardly any of us actually get a paper paycheck anymore. But when you go online and see the money there, you don't say, oh, thank you, thank you, boss. Thank you, you are so generous. You gave me money for doing that? Thank you. At least least most of us don't. Instead, we assume they owe that to us, right? That's the understanding is that you did the work so that they would give you the money. It's what you are due. If your boss didn't pay you, he'd be in debt to you. That's kind of the concept here. Elsewhere, there's a, there's a similar word. The word for debtors is translated other places in the ESV as those who are under obligation or they owe it to them. So there's this sense that this debt is something that should be given. It, it's not just like, oh, like that, I didn't deserve that. It's like, no, that's 
right and appropriate and necessary and fitting that this person give that person something. Okay? And so whenever we fail to pay the full price that something costs, we go into debt. That's how it works. We, we promise to pay the rest of it later. And whatever we haven't paid yet, that gap between what we have paid versus what it costs, that is what we owe. That's our debt. So the first question we have to wrestle with in verse 12 is, what do we owe? It's not intuitive that we have a debt. If I said, hey, your debt's forgiven, you'd be like, I don't, I don't have a debt. So we have to figure out what do we owe because if a debt is a failure to give what's owed, what have we failed to give? What exactly is the debt and to whom do we owe it? Well, the Bible reminds us over and over that we owe God everything. We talked about this a little bit last time when we talked about our daily bread, that every good and perfect gift is from Him. He's given us life and breath and everything. And because he made us, we owe him our worship. Revelation 4 says it this way. Worthy, hear that word, worthy, deserving, do you, o our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So why is God worthy of all that? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So in other words, he is worthy of our worship because he made it all. That's, it's that simple. And yet our problem, the Bible goes on to tell us, is that all of us have failed to give God what he is due. He's, that's what he's worth. That's what we ought to give him. It's what we owe. And yet, Romans 1 says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. It says that instead of that, we, we've chosen to worship other things. Even though we, deep down, we know there's a God. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, let me just tell you that somewhere deep down, you know there's a God. Because God has put a conscience within you. He's testified to his existence through creation, through what has been made. There's a part of your heart that if you're honest, you know there's got to be a God. And the Bible says that we know that, but in our sin, we stuff that truth down. We suppress it. We say, no, 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 I don't, want to, I don't want to think about God. I don't want to talk about God. That's not my thing. We stuff it down. We stuff it down so that we can live our own way and worship other things. The Bible says in Romans 1 again that we exchange the truth about God for a lie. And we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So the message of the Bible so far is we owe God our worship and yet we fail to give it to him. So in other words, our worship balance is deeply in the negative. Our worship debt is massive. The gap between what we ought to pay and what we actually give. Our worship debt is huge. But our worship isn't the only thing we owe God, right? We owe him love. We owe him obedience. We owe him trust and loyalty. And when we fail to give God what he is due, we start to rack up debt. God says the greatest commandment is to love him with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. 
Whenever we fail to do that, we owe him a debt of love. But some of you might say, look, I have loved him. Granted, maybe not with all my heart all the time, but I, I don't think God's going to, he's not going to make a big deal about it. Like, I, I truly have loved him, just not all my heart all the time. Why is that a big deal? Well, let me just ask you, if you pay some of your mortgage bill, but not all of it, will the bank think that's a big deal? The answer is yes. I'm a little concerned for the financial acumen here, but yes, they will think it's a big deal. Why? Because you don't get to pay what you want. You have to pay what is owed. In the same way, if you only pay half the price of a new car up front at the dealer, because that's all you can afford, do you just get to take the car home at that price because, well, that's all you had? Do you think the dealer will say, well, you, you, you did your best. I mean, you couldn't do all of it, but you, you gave it a good shot. No, because your debt is based on the actual cost, what ought to be paid, not on how much you think you can pay. And in the same way, God is owed 100% of our love, 100% of the time. We don't get to give him just however much we feel like and assume he'll thankfully accept that as full payment. Same with our obedience. Same with our trust, our loyalty. We owe God all of it. And the gap between what we owe and what we give is our debt. And this debt is what the Bible calls sin. Sin is the gap between what God deserves from us and what we give him. When we fail to give him the obedience he deserves, that's sin. When we fail to give him the love he deserves, that's sin. And that sin is a debt that keeps accruing and accruing. The Bible says none of us has a positive account. We're all hopelessly in debt. Now, if you found out, if you found out that you had a debt, let's say you found out you owed 10 bucks. That'd be annoying, but, but not a big deal. You'd be like, oh, really? <sighs> okay, fine. But if you found out you owed Ten trillion dollars, you know there's no way you can pay that back. There's no way you're earning that, you're earning your way out of that debt. And that's the way our sin is. Sometimes we're tempted to treat our sin like it's a little ten dollar debt. Yeah, it's annoying. I still got these bad habits, but it's easily made up for. Not a huge deal. Like but the Bible makes it clear that every sin is against an infinitely holy God, which makes every sin infinitely costly. It would be easier for us to pay off a $10 trillion debt than to pay off what our sin owes. And here's the really bad news. Like every debt, our sin debt will one day come due. When you, when you take out a loan, it's just not, it's not usually an open-ended loan. Just whenever you get around to it. No, it has a due date. Just like your mortgage has a due date where you have to pay an amount by that date or else face penalties. Our debt of sin has a date where payment will have to be made. Our debt will be called in and Romans 14, 12 says each of us will give an account of himself to God. In other words, the ledger of your life 
will be laid bare before God, and he will audit every part of your heart. Jesus tells us in Matthew, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. So they're not just looking at the big picture, like have you killed anyone? Have you ever cheated on your spouse? No, okay, you're fine. He's going to look at everything. And at the judgment, God will demand payment for all that is owed to him. All the worship we've failed to give him, all the love, all the obedience that we've not given will come due. And there will be no way to get out from under the debt we've racked up. Every sin we commit is only adding to our deficit. Romans 2, 5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Like this, is, this is reality. Just as you might think that real life is your bank account. No, no, that's, that's real enough, but real, real life is the ledger of your life. What God will call to an account. And just like there are consequences when you can't pay back your debt, your car gets repoed, your house gets foreclosed on. When we can't pay back what our sin owes at the judgment, there are eternal consequences. In the old days, if you couldn't pay your debts, they would throw you in debtor's prison until you could work off or pay back what you owed. But those with a sin debt will likewise be thrown into prison, into an eternity separated from God, and they will never get out because no amount of time is sufficient to pay back what we owe. Friends, this is the debt we all owe. Every careless word, every evil thought, every failure to love God or love neighbor, all that we've done and all that we've left undone is tallied on our balance sheet. No transaction is overlooked or missed. And we will be held accountable for every failure to love God, trust him, obey him, and worship him alone. So when we talk about debt, that's the debt we carry. That takes us to our second point, our need for forgiveness. Because with a debt like that, it's clear we're not going to pay that back. Like I said, if, you, if I tell you you owe 10 bucks, sure, you're not sweating it. 10 trillion, you realize, okay, well, we need another option. I can't do that. We need to have our debt forgiven, which is exactly why we pray for forgiveness. Now, I want to point out just a few things about our need for forgiveness here. First, don't miss that Jesus connects this idea of forgiveness right after asking God for our daily bread. In fact, it's the first time that two of these requests are joined by the word and. Earlier, we've looked at, we've looked at three already. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. They're each kind of their own bullet point. But here, it's closer. There's and. He's like, do this and do this. They're tied tighter. And we're reminded by this that it's not enough for God to provide our physical needs. We need him to do that. But we could have all the material goods we could ever want. But if our sins are not forgiven, what use is that? One writer compared it to a prisoner on death row 
if every day this guy gets fed, every day this guy gets clothed, every day he has a roof over his head, he's warm when it's cold out, he's cool when it's hot out, he has his daily bread. And yet he's still condemned to die. He's still moving ever closer to destruction. So daily bread does us no good without the forgiveness of our debts. Now, I want to address a question at this point that often comes up here. And maybe it's on your mind this morning. You might be thinking, yeah, I agree with what you're saying so far, Dan, as, as far as it applies to people who aren't Christians. They, they do. They need to f- ask God to forgive them their debts. But I, I'm a Christian. Doesn't that mean I'm forgiven already? Once for all? Why would I need to ask for forgiveness anymore? Uh, Isn't that taken care of? And that's a good question. But what we have to realize here is that Jesus is not talking about justification here. Justification is what happens one time and one time only when we first trust in Jesus. At the moment you believe, the moment you put all your faith in him and no longer in yourself or any other way to be right with God, but you say, my only hope is Jesus, when you do that, you are declared not guilty on the basis of Jesus' work once and for all. And our sins, past, present, and future, are all forgiven in the sense that they can no longer condemn us. That's gloriously true. But while our sins don't jeopardize the existence of our relationship with God, they do hinder the quality of our relationship with Him. They hinder our fellowship with God. So when we ask for forgiveness, we're seeking the healing and restoration of things between us and God. Our sin makes things not, like something's off. And we're saying, God, I don't want it to be that way. And it's my fault that they're that way. Will you make it right? As I thought about it this week, maybe, maybe this will help you. The best parallel I could come up with was marriage. So when a man and a woman get married, as they're saying their vows, we can take it for granted, I think, that at that moment, the wife, she, is, she has forgiven the husband, or the now husband, of all the things he's done up until that moment. Like they've had an open, there's no secrets as everything's out in the open and anything he's said to her in the past, any ways he's hurt her, at that moment she's, she's forgiven him. Otherwise, they're not exchanging these vows. Okay? But in a very real sense, not only has she forgiven everything that's happened up to that moment, she's also committing to forgive all his sins in the future. When she says, till death do us part, she's saying that no matter what he does in the future, He will always be her husband and she will always be his wife. Forgiveness will happen. But that doesn't mean that when her husband sins against her in the future, five years into marriage, doesn't mean he shouldn't ask her for forgiveness. He doesn't say, well, I know our relationship is secure and she promised to forgive me for all that I do. Said she was never going to leave me till death do us part. So why would I need to ask her for forgiveness now? We did that back then. No, his sin has caused a rift in the relationship. 
He's caused discord between them. And so asking for forgiveness acknowledges the wrong and helps restore health and happiness between the two. And in a similar way, I'm sure it breaks down at some point, but in a similar way, this prayer for forgiveness is anchored in a secure relationship. Notice this isn't a prayer for non-believers to pray. This is a family prayer that can only be prayed by those who can rightly call God Father. And when we ask God to forgive us our debts, we're not on the outside trying to get back in. God hasn't kicked us out of the family and we're saying, please let me back in. We are praying as sons and daughters to a father who's ready to forgive, not to a judge. So the next thing I want you to notice about our need for forgiveness is it's a daily one. Jesus clearly intends for us to pray this prayer on a daily basis because he teaches us to ask, give us this day our daily bread. So I don't assume that Jesus wanted us to some days have bread and other days not. He's saying like, as long as there's a day and as long as there's a day you need bread, pray this so that I will give you your daily bread. And as often as we are to pray for our daily bread, we are to pray for the forgiveness of our debts. Again, I want you to see that praying for forgiveness is something Christians do. This prayer is for Christians. And in it, Jesus calls us to daily ask for forgiveness. In the same way, John, when he writes his letter, 1 John, to believers, what does he tell them? 1 John 1, 9. If we say we have no sin, who's we? Believers. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we, believers, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, believers, our sins, and cleanse us, believers, from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is meant to be part of the Christian life in an ongoing way. So I just want to pause and ask you, is confession of sin and asking God for forgiveness a regular part of your Christian life? Or is that something you did a long time ago when you, when you became a Christian, but now you think, oh, well, that's, that's over, it's done. I, I've taken care of that. There's a reason the Lord Jesus included this when he taught us to pray. It's that we're meant to be constantly reminded of our great debt and our need for forgiveness and to go to God to receive it. Forgiveness is not beginner Christianity and then we graduate from it. Forgiveness is daily Christianity from now until the day we go home. We continue as Christians the same way we start, by confessing our sins and asking God to forgive us our debts because of Jesus. In fact, one author I read this week said it this way, the greater the saint, the greater the sense of sin. The greater the saint, the greater the sense of sin. In other words, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we realize our need for him. The more we acknowledge our sin, the more we come to God through Jesus for forgiveness. Again, I'm just curious, do you find that to be true in your own life? As you continue on in your Christian life, do you find yourself more aware of sin 
confessing more to the Lord, asking for forgiveness more? If not, confess that to God. Ask him to make you more aware of your debt and the need for forgiveness. One last note on this is, in fact, this, this daily nature, this regular nature of forgiveness, this is why the church has always historically included a time of confession and assurance of pardon as part of corporate worship because it's essential to our life with Christ, both individually and corporately. That's why we do this because when we confess together in the service and ask God to forgive us, we're doing what Jesus taught us to do here. We're acknowledging our deep sin debt and our need for forgiveness. And we're clinging to the promise that God will forgive us when we ask. Which then leads us to our all-important third question. How? How does this forgiveness happen? How can our debt be taken care of and forgiven? The answer is it all starts with God. In Mark 2, the Pharisees rightly ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? They get a lot of things wrong, but you've got to give them credit where they get it right. They recognize that forgiveness is God's prerogative alone. Only God can forgive sins because all sin is against God. When we sin, God is the one we ultimately wrong. So that God is the one we're indebted to, because we fail to give him the love, obedience, trust, and worship he's due. That means only he can forgive us our debt. And this just makes sense, right? I can't cancel your mortgage. As much as you might want me to, I can't tell you, hey, don't worry about it. Like, don't make any more payments. It's good. You're forgiven. Why can't I do that? Because you don't owe me the money. So I can't cancel your debt. Only the person you owe can cancel the debt. In the same way, only God can forgive sins. But here's the really good news. We've looked at the really bad news. Here's the really good news. Only God can forgive sins. And what we find is that God is a forgiving God. When God revealed the glory of his character to Moses in Exodus 34, how does he describe himself? Hear it again. He says, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who he is. When he's revealing, God could have said anything. When he says, I want, you to, I want to tell you who I am in my essence, what is fundamental to me, he says, I'm a forgiving God. When Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah 9, he says to God, you are a God ready to forgive. Oh, I love that. You are a God ready to forgive. And that's really good news for people like us who need forgiveness. God is not reluctant or annoyed to forgive you. When you go to him, he's not like, fine, you, you, did, you said the right things, I don't feel it, but forgive you. God says, yes, Yes, I forgive you. And you say, well, I know I asked you to forgive me for that yesterday. He says, and I forgive you today. And I'll forgive you in a minute. I'll forgive you in a second. I'm ready to forgive. So let me say three things about how this ready to forgive God forgives. And we're going to do it under three headers. He promised it. 
He paid for it and he provides it. So first, he promised forgiveness. In the Old Testament, when God promises that he's gonna do something new, when he's gonna make a new covenant with his people, a new way of relating to them, not based on what he told Moses, but something new. Listen to what he promises in Jeremiah 31. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. For everyone who belongs to him. Remember he says, you will be my people, I'll be your God. He says, for all the people who can say that, he says, I'll give you a new heart. So for everyone who has a new heart, God says, I will forgive them and remember their sin no more. That's what God was up to in sending Jesus. It wasn't an out of the blue plan. He's saying, I promised I would do this. In order to keep my promise, I had to send him. Now, it said that he would forgive and remember their sin no more. And we just need to be clear. Forgetting doesn't mean God has no knowledge or recollection of your sin. His mind doesn't go blank and he's like, what are you talking about? I don't, he knows. It means he will never remember your sin against you. When you record transactions, you don't erase the debts once they're paid. For every debit you charge against the account, the account, if you wanted to have a balance, you need to also have a corresponding credit. So I spent $5 debit, but I also deposited $5 credit. And in the ledger of your life, every debt is still written and recorded. Hear that. It doesn't get erased. Instead, Jesus is the credit that offsets every single one of our debits of sin. In one column of your life ledger, it shows all that you owe for your sin, line by painful line. But in the next column, the credit column, it just has one word over and over again. Jesus, 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 Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just cancel out our sin and leave us at a zero balance. Instead, we're left with a positive balance of righteousness. We're in the positive because not only is our debt offset, he's given us his righteous, his righteousness. How has this happened? How, how has he paid for our debt? Well, that's the second thing about how God forgives. He promised it in the new covenant and he paid for it in Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Like that is necessary. In other words, there is no other currency that can pay our debt and purchase our forgiveness. No amount of money, no amount of religious devotion or good works can pay back what we owe. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 1 says, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, because they couldn't do it, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, that's how much it cost. That's how deep in debt we were, that no amount of money could ever get us out of the hole. The only thing that would suffice to pay our debt was the blood of the Son of God. That's it. 
Nothing else in all of human history. You could combine all the earthly possessions, every dollar and every currency around the world, and God would say, that's not even close. The only thing sufficient is the blood of the Son of God. Colossians 2 tells us, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, every wrong thing you've ever done, every good thing you failed to do, Jesus paid for at the cross. So that now in the ledger of your life, every line of the debt of sin is still there, but every line is crossed out in the blood of Jesus with a note written in red, paid in full. Your debt is paid for. Your debt for sins, not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. Jesus paid it all. And this is important that we know Jesus paid it because debt doesn't just go away, right? When debt gets taken care of and financially, it doesn't just go into thin air. Someone, somewhere, has to pay. If not you, then the person you owe has to absorb the cost, right? If if the loan company forgives your debt, it doesn't just go poof. That means we'll cover it. You don't have to. Jesus absorbed the cost in himself. He paid what we owed so that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that is why Acts 10 says, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Do you hear that? Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. Everyone who trusts in Jesus Everyone who admits their sin, who says, I am guilty. I have a debt. I know it. You know it, God. And the only thing that was good enough to pay for it, the only thing that can help me is Jesus' death on the cross in my place. That's the only payment that will have, that will work. And the Bible says that if you believe in Jesus in that way, you will receive forgiveness. So friends, if you're not here, I don't want you leaving still drowning in debt. You can be debt-free in the best sense of the word this morning. All your sin does not have to leave this sanctuary with you. You don't have to carry the guilt. You can give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, you and you alone can pay it. And he'll say, I gladly will. God is ready to forgive. Are you ready to receive? All we need to do is come by faith. Which is the third thing about how God forgives. He promised it in the new covenant. He paid for it in Jesus and he provides it in prayer. He provides the forgiveness we need when we ask him for it. When we say, forgive us our debts. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us every day, every time because Jesus paid our debt and God is ready to forgive. Now, there's a second part of the verse I haven't touched on yet. 
And don't worry, we're not going to spend a long time on it, but I, I do want to address it because the second part can be a bit troubling. We like the part that says, forgive us our debts. Okay, that's good news. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Is this saying that God forgives us because we forgive others? Does our forgiving others earn us our forgiveness from God? Hopefully by now you know the answer is of course not. Only the blood of Jesus can secure our forgiveness. So what's going on here? This part of the prayer is meant to remind us of something really, really important about forgiveness. And it's this. Forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. Because if we rightly understand how much debt we've been forgiven by God, we will necessarily forgive the much smaller debts of others against us. J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, one whose only hope is that God will not hold on to his faults against him forfeits his right to hold others' faults against them. If you want to be a recipient of mercy and a recipient of forgiveness, as soon as you say, Jesus, I need forgiven, and he gives it, you forfeit your right to hold the debt of anyone else. If we're unwilling to forgive others, it shows that we ourselves have not really been forgiven. God only forgives those who are truly repentant. And one of the surest signs of our repentance is that we are now willing to forgive others. We forgive because we've been forgiven and in the same way. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3 says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Friends, we can and must forgive others because God forgave us in Jesus. To illustrate that truth, Jesus told a story that we're not going to look at the whole thing in Matthew 18, about a king. You know this story. There's a king who has a servant who comes to him with an insane amount of debt. Your Bible probably has a footnote that says it's like 20 years salary this guy owes him. And he begs the king for mercy. And so the king forgives his debt. But then that same servant goes around and he has another servant who owes him a paltry amount of money, like that day's lunch money. And he says, you can't pay me? Take this guy to jail. This guy's stiffing me on what he owes me. And listen to how the king responds to his servant. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. God's serious about forgiveness. And the beauty is that when you're forgiven, you will forgive. I'm not saying it'll always be easy, but we will. Because if we don't forgive others tiny debts against us, we can't expect God to forgive us the infinite debt we owe him because of our sin. 
if you hold on to the debts of others say nope you owe this how do you expect God to answer your prayer forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors forgiven people forgive so is there a debt you need to forgive this morning